You know, in the, uh, the days in which we're living, I think it's vitally important that I, as someone who professes to follow Jesus Christ, ask myself this. Are my attitudes and actions being shaped by the culture I live in or by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are my uh, mind and my soul being fed primarily by what I read in the news and on social media or by the word of God? How much am I being influenced by political narratives rather than God's narrative? I think it's something we could all be asking ourselves, and especially when it comes to this important series of messages we're starting today called Do Justice and Love Mercy. So before we go any further, uh, let me just pray. Yeah, Lord, uh, as we begin this new series, I just pray for your help. Give us ears to hear and, uh, Lord, soft hearts to respond to your voice as we seek your kingdom and your will here on earth. May our lives and uh, the way we treat people reflect your justice and mercy and demonstrate the reality of our faith and our love for you. And Lord, in the days ahead, may we walk humbly with you because we all have a lot to be humble about. Uh, we ask this for your glory. Amen. Okay, let's get into it. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's what God says he requires from his people in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But the context uh, where those words were spoken are, are full of drama, right? Let's just read the first two verses of chapter 6. It says, listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up, state your case against me, says the Lord. Let the mountains and the hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people, and he will bring charges against Israel. What we're presented with here is a courtroom scene. And I'm sure many of you have seen courtroom dramas in films or on TV. Well, in this courtroom, God is not only the judge, he's also the plaintiff. He's bringing the charge. He has a case against his people who are on trial here. And Micah, the prophet, is speaking here as God's attorney. It starts with a command to stand up like you'd have in court when the judge enters the room and they say, all rise. And then God's people are invited to plead their case, to bring their defense. And it seems that all of creation is to be witness to this uh, cosmic courtroom drama. The ancient hills and uh, mountains are called to listen to God's complaint. Now, just to give some background to God's complaint, Israel had broken covenant with God because of their immoral and unjust practices. The powerful were exploiting the poor. The priests were failing the people. Prophets were prostituting their gifts. The courts were full of corruption. Merchants were using dishonest measures. And in verse 12 of chapter 6, God says, he says, your citizens are so used to lying, they no longer tell the truth. But before passing sentence, he appeals to his people and gives them a chance to respond. Oh, my people, he says, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, for I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. God had rescued them. And he goes on to remind them how he sent Moses to help them, how he turned curses into blessing, how he provided for them in the Exodus. And twice he says, my people. 
as he expresses his affection for them in spite of their waywardness. And you would expect his people to be remorseful and to repent, wouldn't you? But instead, in verse 6, the defendant in the dock tries to bargain with God to see what will get them off the hook. What can we bring to the Lord, they say. How about some burnt offerings? Will that do it? And then they keep upping the ante. How about we offer some yearling halves? Or perhaps we should offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil. And then finally, to top it all, they say, should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? You can almost hear the gasps in the courtroom that God's own people would even consider this abomination that was practiced by some of the neighboring nations. It shows how far they had fallen and it's meant to be shocking. How could they think that that would please God? God wasn't interested in their external offerings or outward forms of worship. He was interested in their hearts. But clearly, their hearts were far from him. And so in verse 8, the prophet responds to their plea bargain. He says this, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These were the basic requirements of the law, of the covenant of love that God had made with his people for their own good, a people he'd rescued from slavery so that he might bless them. And if only they would act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with their God, they would bring his blessing to all the other nations. But over and over again, they demonstrated they were incapable with walking with God in his ways. And instead, they were adopting the detestable practices of all the surrounding cultures. They were guilty as charged, and God would bring sentence against them. But here's the thing. As we look upon this court scene, where do we see ourselves? Where are you? in this scene. Up in the gallery, innocently looking on. You see, what we have to understand is that without Jesus, who is our advocate, we are all in the dock, declared guilty, standing before the judgment seat of God. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 64, where at a future time, God's people acknowledged their guilt. They say, how then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even at our very best, right, when we seek to do what is right and try to be merciful, we still fall short. Even our most righteous acts are like filthy rags, they say. The word used there in Hebrew is describing a menstrual cloth. They're polluted. They're polluted because they're not from a heart of love for God. What the story of God's people demonstrates is that it's actually impossible for the natural man to do what God requires, to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God, because we need him to give us a new heart, his heart. You know, this verse, Micah 6, 8, is displayed in the reading room of the Congressional Library in Washington, D.C., and many politicians have quoted it in their election campaigns, you know, try to make a religion out of it. But what they don't realize is they're just promoting moralism. And what we don't need in this country is more moralism. 
You know, dead works won't help us because what we need is a living saviour. It's what Israel needed. It's what all mankind needs because otherwise we are all standing in the dock under the sentence of death. But thank God that in his great mercy, he has sent us a saviour and an advocate, Jesus Christ. And his coming was actually promised by Micah in chapter 5, where he prophesies that from Bethlehem would come this great shepherd king who would be revered to the ends of the earth and who would shepherd God's people and bring them peace. Just as God had redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt, it was foreshadowing that time when he would send his son Jesus to redeem us from our slavery to sin and from the sentence of death. And just as Israel were rescued from death through God's provision of the blood of a lamb sprinkled on the door frames of their houses, so Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood takes away the sins of the world. Jesus gave his life for us. He paid the penalty for all of our sin and wrongdoing so that all who will come to him will be acquitted and walk out of that heavenly courtroom free men and women. And when you can see that, and you come to him full of remorse and repentance instead of plea bargaining with God. And when you truly begin to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God, then you can be sure it's because he has given you a new heart. It's what God promised his people. Even when they were under the sentence of his justice, he showed them mercy. In Ezekiel 36, he said this, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's the only way we can live lives that are pleasing to God. Right? You know, to do what is right, to do what is good, to do all the things that God requires. It's not by trying to be just and merciful uh, and humble, right? It's the natural consequence of being born again where God puts his spirit in us. It's the fruit of his spirit. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatians. In Galatians 5, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, right? Because of trusting in Jesus, you and I walked out of that courtroom free men and women. But he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, right? Having been set free, we're not called to just live for ourselves and please ourselves. Rather, he says, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary of Micah 6, 8. And Jesus told us, didn't he, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, that our neighbor is whoever is in front of us who needs our help, even if it's our enemy. We'll look at that more another time in our series. But we're called to act with justice and mercy for our neighbor's sake. That might mean lifting up the poor, healing the sick, caring for the vulnerable, setting people free from the chains of addiction, advocating for the oppressed and the marginalized, speaking up for those who have no voice, for the unborn, for the enslaved, and all the while humbly pointing people to Jesus, the one who has shown us such mercy. But as I said, we can only do these things by the power of God's Spirit in us. And that's why Paul, having told the Galatians to love their neighbors, he then says in verse 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and then you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk humbly with God and in the ways of God is to walk by his spirit. And in, in verse 22 and 23 of Galatians 5, he says that the fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? If we're walking by the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit should be increasingly evident in our lives and in the way we relate to people. And of course, the primary fruit there is love. As we walk humbly with God, depending on him, abiding in him, asking him daily for his grace, then the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with God's love. And it's his love that compels us to seek the good of others, to give justice and mercy to people in need, to serve our neighbor and to love one another. So I think, you know, the prophet Micah would ask us, are we walking humbly with God? Right. As those who've received forgiveness and freedom and the spirit of God through Jesus Christ. Are we now walking by his spirit? And if so, where's the evidence? Where is justice and mercy? There's a rather uh, disconcerting passage in uh, uh, Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been teaching how children of God should live. And this is what he says there. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, he says, many will say to me, note the word many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? But then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a pretty scary passage, isn't it? Unless, of course, you know that Jesus is your advocate and that by God's mercy, you've been acquitted and he's given you a new heart through the power of his spirit. If that's true for you, then you have nothing to fear when you stand before the heavenly court, before the judgment seat on that last day. But if it is true, then as Jesus says here in verse 21, it's going to be evidenced by you doing the will of his Father in heaven. And the will of his Father is what he'd just been teaching about in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, refusing to be angry with your brother, seeking reconciliation and forgiveness, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, not being selfish with money, praying for the Father's will to be done, seeking first his kingdom, not judging people, but doing for others what you would have them do for you. And then as it says in Luke's account, it means being merciful, just as our heavenly Father is merciful. That's what it means to do the will of the Father. And his commands are not burdensome, right? If we love him, then we'll happily seek to do his will. It's the fruit of his spirit in us, right? It should come naturally. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, no good tree bears bad fruit. So what fruit is your life bearing? Let me just say, I see a lot of good fruit in our church, right? There's so much to be thankful for. I'll be telling some of the stories in the weeks to come, but I just see God's grace shining through so many people uh, through the, their different gifts and personalities. People who in their own unique way are serving others in love, acting justly, uh, loving mercy, 
and walking humbly with God by the Spirit. One of those people is Ray Fawzi. You know, I'm so thankful for God's mercy in her life. When I look at her, I see someone who cares deeply for the broken and for the vulnerable, for those caught in addiction and sin. How do I know? Because of her actions, because of the time she spends befriending and serving, uh, counseling, loving, encouraging, sharing people's burdens, praying for them, advocating for them in court and so on. And lives are being changed as a result. Of course, she'll always give God the glory, and rightly so, right? It's all because of his grace and mercy. And that's why we walk humbly with God, because we've got a lot to be humble for. And I realize we can't all be like Ray, right? We may not all have the same time and availability to minister to others in the way that she does. But whatever our situation We are all called to show the loving kindness of God to other people in our own way, and especially to those who are in need. That might be in our own families, or in the church family, or in the community we live in. It might be as simple as encouraging someone, uh, doing something to lighten someone's load, um, taking time to listen to someone, or lifting them up in prayer. Who might the Lord prompt you to serve today or this week? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Right? Walk by the Spirit. Obey his promptings. If you will do that, then you will be doing what the Lord says is good. What he requires from you. To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. Right, let's all be asking the Lord to use us this week. And if you're still standing in the dock, wondering what your sentence might be, wondering whether the Lord might say to you, depart from me, I never knew you, then humble yourself today. Surrender yourself to his mercy. Ask for his forgiveness because you will find him full of love and compassion for you, full of mercy. He will give you a new heart, a new life. He will fill you with his spirit so that you might truly know him and walk with him now and forever. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, please do get in touch. Right? You can reach me at hello at newfrontierschurch.com. God bless you all this week.